God is good. Man, God is good. I just thank the Lord that He's been good to us. Has He been good to you? Has God been good to you? If you're here, if you're here today, it's because God's been good to you. If you're breathing today, it's because God's been good to you. God, God is so good. And it's just good to come together with God's people and to, to worship, to sing His praises and to receive His word. It's so good to see each one of you, you know, this uh, season, this 2020, is a, is a, it's weird. Um, it's just strange. It's, it's unusual. And uh, every week when, when we come to church and I get to see you and we get to see each other, it's, it's a treasure to me. And I wish I could just go give everybody a big hug, but I don't want to kill you, so... You know, there's that. We're, we're trying to weigh all that out. So, But it's good to be together. And it's good to worship the Lord together. And uh, thank you for being here today. It, it's, it's good. It's good when God's people come together. Amen. So we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts today. We're in Acts chapter 13. We're going to finish Acts chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to grab that and, and open there. And... What we've seen as we've gone through the book of Acts is that Acts is, Luke, Luke who writes Acts, is he's writing down for us the history of the early church. He's telling us what the followers of Jesus did after Jesus lived and died and rose again. It, it tells us the story, what happened to these people that were following Jesus. But as we've been going through it together, what we've seen is that not only is Acts the history book, for the church. It's also the playbook for the church. It, it shows us a model. It shows us an example of how a church, what a church should be doing and how a church should live and what are the priorities and what are the ways to do ministry. And Jesus had hand-selected his apostles, the leaders of his church. He had hand-selected each one of them. And he had personally trained them to do what we're reading them, reading about them doing in the book of Acts. And so as, as we come to Acts, we, we don't just see something that happened then. We see what the church should be about doing in every generation, in every season. And you and I are a part of, of something very big. You and I are a part, as we're a part of the church of Jesus, we're, we're a part of this movement that has been marching forward for the last 2,000 years and will continue until Jesus returns. Whether that's in 20 minutes, in 20 years, or another 20,000 years. We, we don't know. But God has called us to be faithful where we are. And He has placed us here in these days for a reason and for a purpose. It's not an accident that you and I are alive in 2020. It's not an accident. The Bible tells us that God planned our days before we were alive, that God specifically created you to be alive in this season, not for any old reason, but for a purpose. And so as we turn to the book of Acts, it, it doesn't just give us the history, it instructs us practically on how to live today. And who, who would have known better of what it means to be a Christian and, and how to live as a Christian 
than those who had been handpicked by Jesus and personally trained by Jesus. Who would know better? And so th this is not just a, a, a history. This is our example. And so let's go to Acts chapter 13. And we're going to start in verse 13 today. And where this leaves off is, is where we left off last week, where Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, they, they went on a missionary journey to, to share the gospel with people who had never heard about Jesus. This is the first missionary trip, the first missionary journey. Before this, there was never a missionary. And they're the first ones to do this. And they step out in faith. And so we're going to continue on in this missionary journey that they are on, taking the gospel to different and new regions. And it says... Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Poseidon. Now this is a different Antioch than the one that they had been sent out from. We know of three different cities named Antioch in the time that this was written. So they come into a new region, this place hadn't received the gospel, this place hadn't heard the good news about Jesus. And it says that on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Now the Sabbath day was the, the, the day of rest for the Jewish people. Paul, of course, we know is a Jewish man. He grew up uh, trained in the ways of, of the law of Moses. And the synagogue was a place in every community there was a synagogue, and, and a synagogue was the central place, the, the gathering place for the Jewish people, for the people of Israel. And what they would do as they gathered in the synagogue is they would gather for prayer, and they would gather to receive God's word together. They would not worship, because worship is what took place in the temple and involved sacrifice. And so the synagogue... It, it, it was not quite like a church because when we gather, we gather to worship God. Amen? But they didn't offer worship or what Paul calls sacrifices of praise. They only gathered to pray and to receive the word of God. And so it says that that's what they were doing on this Sabbath day as they went into the synagogue. And so after the reading from the law and the prophets, that's the Old Testament scripture, they read the scripture the rulers of the synagogue, the leaders there, they sent a message to Paul and Barnabas, and they said, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, we want to hear it. Say it. And so Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. And so he grabs their attention, and for the next Almost the rest of the chapter, he preaches a sermon. And we're not going to read through that whole sermon today, but the thrust, the message of his sermon, was that the, the, the promises of God for the people of Israel have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That the promises that God made to, to their nation, to their people, that it all culminates in the life of the Messiah, Jesus and that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah that they've been waiting for. That, that He talks about how Abraham's story and Moses' story and King David's story, these, these figures of, of, of important people in the lives of Jewish people, 
how they point towards and, and have their culmination in Jesus Christ, that He is the fulfillment of everything that God had promised. And so He walks them through their history, and from the Scriptures, He explains to them that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, and He pleads with them to accept Christ, to receive Christ. You see, the, the Jewish people in Jerusalem, they had rejected Christ. The leadership had rejected Christ and crucified Him. But Paul, he loves his people. These are his people. And so he pleads with them, don't be like the wicked rulers in Jerusalem who rejected their Messiah. Receive Jesus and receive forgiveness of sins and a right standing before God. He tells them of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. He preaches to them the gospel from the Old Testament scriptures. Now, in verse 42, we're going to skip down to verse, verse 42 today. It says, as they went out, so as they dismissed from this meeting, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath day. They, they loved what they heard. This was so exciting to them. They wanted to hear more about Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the, the one who has fulfilled the promises of God, And so they invited them to come back in a week and to share with them again. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Now the next Sabbath day, so a week later, it says almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So in the span of a week, the, the gospel message and, and what Paul and Barnabas had been sharing and teaching, this message had started to permeate this community so that almost the whole city showed up. They said, we have to hear what God is speaking through these men, which is awesome, right? I mean, this is revival happening and people coming to Christ in mass number. The whole city shows up. And verse 45 says, But when the Jews saw the crowds, were they happy? They were filled with jealousy. So, so the leadership of the synagogue, when they saw that all these people are showing up to hear Paul and Barnabas, and not them, all of a sudden, they're not on board with this Jesus message anymore. They're filled with jealousy. They say, man, we've been inviting these people to come with us to synagogue for year after year after year, and they've never showed up. But now these two guys, these two hombres roll into town, and everybody wants to hear what they have to say. They're, they're dominated. They're filled with this spirit of jealousy. And so they begin to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. So the more opposition that comes in, the more boldness with which Paul and Barnabas speak out. And they said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. That's the Jewish people. But since you thrust it aside, you have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are now turning to the Gentiles. 
So they say, if, if you don't want to receive this, that's fine. You've actually brought condemnation on yourself as you have rejected Christ. We'll turn from you to the Gentiles. That's the non-Jewish people, all the nations of the world. And here Paul again quotes from the Scripture. He quotes Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, which was a promise that God had made that this would happen, saying that He has made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may, be bring, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they, Paul and Barnabas, shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, in our time here today, I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts. Lord, it's so good to be here to worship you. Lord, that we don't have to travel halfway around the world to one place to worship you because you have poured out your spirit on the whole earth today. That everywhere we are and everywhere we gather, you promise that where two or more are gathered in your name, you are here in our midst. Lord, we come together today to meet with you. Lord, it's a privilege that we can come and to worship you today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who are filled with your spirit and that being spirit-filled, we would live a life full of the spirit, full of love and joy and peace. Even in 2020, that's your desire for us. Lord, help us to walk out your plans for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've got four-ish points today, and I really want to drive home the fourth one, but I want to highlight some things for you before we get to that today. So I'm going to move through these first three rather quickly, and the first is this question. I want to answer this question again for you of why missions and evangelism. Paul and Barnabas are leaving their place of ministry. They've left their home. They've stepped out into the unknown They've stepped out into a place that is totally foreign to them. They're leaving everything they know behind. They don't know necessarily where they're going. They're being led by the Spirit of God. And they're doing so to go and to proclaim a message. The message we see them proclaiming again and again and again, it's the same message every time. It's about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how we as sinners can have our sins forgiven if we will repent and have faith in Jesus. This is the message that they preach everywhere they go. But what is it about Christians that compels us to do this? You know, when I was in uh, school, not Bible school, but, but public university, there was this idea, this ideology, this, uh, this philosophy 
that was constantly pressed that, that Christians should just practice their faith privately. Look, if you're a Christian, great, they would say, but don't try to impose your views on me. Don't try to convert me. Don't be all, why are, why are Christians always trying to evangelize people? Why can't they just worship privately? It works for them, great. But why are they always trying to spread their message? And this idea, it exists in the world today of, of just, guys, just do your thing, that's fine, but leave us alone. Let us do our thing. But there's a reason why we can't do that. And it's because two different reasons I'm going to give you today. The first is that Jesus commanded his followers to share the gospel. This is a command from our Lord that we as Christians, part of what it means to follow Christ is to obey him in that he taught us to go into all the world and to share the gospel with every creature. He said this, we have this recorded for us five times in the New Testament. Five times this commissioning of Jesus' followers to go and to share the gospel, to go and evangelize, to go and to do missions work. We have it recorded for us five times. In fact, it is the only event of the life of Jesus that is recorded for us five times. Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16 Luke chapter 24, John chapter 20, and then into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. All of these recount for us the commissioning of our risen Savior and Lord that He gives to His followers that we're to be sharing the good news of what He has done. That's the first reason. The second reason is that Jesus Himself taught that He was the only way to be made right with God. Jesus himself taught that he was the only way that people could have their sins forgiven. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, very famously, we know this passage, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says, if you have not received me, you have not received God. If you have not received me, you are not made right with God. If you have not received me, Jesus says, you are lost in your sins. These are the words of our Lord. And as Christians, we believe what Jesus said. That's kind of like the base level of Christianity, that we just accept what Jesus taught, that we don't question what Jesus taught. He, he is the whole thing that we're all about. We're all about Jesus. And so if Jesus says that the world is lost and without hope, without him, what do we believe? That the world is lost and is without hope, without him. And so these are the two reasons that Christians have this deep desire, that this burning in us to not just sit quiet when we see the, the world lost and dying, that we feel compelled to go to spread the gospel, and to see people come to faith in Christ. Because we believe that without Christ, the world is lost. That without Christ, people have no hope of salvation. 
And so this is why Paul and Barnabas set out. And this is why we preach the gospel. And this is why you and I are called to be witnesses everywhere that we go. The second thing I want to highlight for you is just looking at this young man, John Mark. In verse 13, it tells us that uh, he, he forsook Paul and Barnabas and, and that he left. He, he pushed the eject button on this missions trip. And he said, I'm out of here. I'm going back home. He goes back home to Jerusalem. When, when on the first leg of the journey, Paul and Barnabas faced some opposition. There was a false prophet who stood in their way, who, who tried to derail them from, from preaching the gospel. And Paul, under the power of the Spirit, had pronounced a curse on this false prophet, and this false prophet was blinded for a time. And after seeing all of this opposition and this spiritual warfare, John Mark says, you know what? I'm not cut out for this kind of work. This is not what I'm called to do. I'll see you guys next time you come through Jerusalem. And he goes back home. And what I want to highlight for you is that sometimes ministry can be difficult. Especially ministry on the front lines like Paul and Barnabas is doing. And there's opposition. And there are spiritual forces that are at work. And sometimes people can have the idea that, oh, if I could only be in full-time ministry, oh, my life would just be so great. And I just want you to know, maybe God is calling you to that, but you need to know it's not all a bed of roses. Can I get an amen from the missionaries in the house? Amen, right? It's not all just a walk through the tulips. It is hard work. And everyone's not cut out for it. Everyone's not ready yet where they're at in their life. John Mark wasn't yet ready, and so he, he bails on them. The Apostle Paul is, is kind of upset with him, and later on, John Mark wants to go on another missionary trip, and Paul says, no, you bailed on me once, brother. That's it. I'm not taking you. You're not coming with me. Barnabas, we'll see later in Acts chapter 15, Barnabas does take him with him, and they go on a separate missionary journey. And God ends up working through John Mark in a powerful way in his life. And he he is called to ministry, but he wasn't quite ready where he was yet. The third thing I want to highlight for you is I I just want to shed some light on Paul's sermon that he preaches. And we see this in verses 16 through 41. And and we didn't take the time today to read through all of that. I would would encourage you sometime this week to, to open up your Bible and to to read through this message that Paul preaches. But one thing I want to show you is that what Paul preaches is the Word of God. In this this message that he preaches, six times Paul directly quotes from the Old Testament Scriptures. Six times. He, He pulls from here, he pulls from the Psalms, he pulls from the prophets. Six times directly quoting word for word the Scriptures, preaching the Word of God. Eleven more times in his message, he summarizes large portions of Scripture. The message that Paul preaches is the Word of God. And and this is what true preaching is. It preaches the Word. And so I I just want to highlight this for you because we as a church, this is what we do. And I want you to know that 
this is why we do it. Because this is the example that's been handed down to us from the apostles who had been personally handpicked and selected by the Lord Jesus. And if this is how they did ministry, who knows how to do ministry better than them? And so it's not on any church to say, well, what if we just, you know, people don't like preaching. What if we just change this up a little bit? We don't have that option. That's not an option for us to, to, to cater to the whims of just what people want that we follow in the example that's been handed down to us from the Lord Jesus who himself was the, the master preacher, traveling from town to town to town, preaching the Word of God, the Lord Jesus himself. And so, true preaching of the Word of God, this is what brings faith to people's hearts and lives. It says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That it's true preaching of the Word of God that builds up true believers, people who truly love the Lord and want to serve Him, that the Word of God is what builds us up and gives us strength and hope and edifies us and encourages us as God's people. Now notice here, at the end of Paul's sermon, notice the results of Paul's preaching. Does everybody love what he had to say? Uh, No, they don't. In fact, there's some people who actually are really upset about it. They get so mad that they start a riot about it and have him run out of town. But can we all acknowledge that Paul's preaching is probably some of the best preaching there's ever been? Right? I mean, if, if anybody could preach the Word, it was the Apostle Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament, hand-selected by Jesus to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, was given and delivered the gospel by a revelation that Jesus personally gave to him that we read about in Galatians chapter 1. If anybody could preach, it was Paul. Yet, not everyone is converted. Not everyone is saved. Not everyone believes, and in fact, Some people receive the word with so much joy and gladness, it totally transforms their life. Others, with rage, with anger, with hostility, such that they persecute him and run him out of town. And sometimes we, as we are called to be witnesses, sometimes we feel like if, if, well, if I share this message, it might not be received well, and so I need to to wait until I know how to share it, that it'll be received well. And sometimes we worry about what the results are going to be. And as God's people, that's not the way it works. God's called us to plant seeds, the Word of God, to water those seeds that have been planted. But He's the one that brings the increase. He's the one that brings the results in people's hearts and in people's lives. And even we see in Paul's life, some people got it, some people didn't. Some people received it, some people opposed it. But Paul kept sharing the gospel. He kept preaching the word of God. The Puritans who first 
came to this country from the West. They came here searching uh, for a place where they could worship God in freedom. And as they came and colonized the first 13 colonies, the, the Puritans, they had this saying about the Word of God, about the Gospel. They said, the same sun that melts the ice is the same sun that hardens the clay. That some people, upon hearing the Word of God preached, some people, upon hearing the Gospel preached, it melts their hearts. Their hearts are are captivated, they're gripped, they they repent of their sin, they turn to faith in Christ. They're just just undone and, and they received Christ. But some people, upon hearing the Gospel, it hardens their heart like clay. Jesus, of course, told the parable of the the farmer with the seed and the sower, that some seed fell on good ground and other seed fell on bad ground. But it's our job to share the word. It's our job to spread the seed. We leave the results up to God. Okay, the fourth point. This is where I really wanted to get to today. And so that was all just introduction, all right? You guys live in quarantine. You don't have anything to do, right? The last few minutes that we have here today, I want to show you something from this chapter. I think it will bless you. I believe it will bless your life. Three times in this chapter, it tells us that people were filled with something. In verse 9, it tells us that the Apostle Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 45, it tells of the Jewish leaders that they were not filled with the Holy Spirit, but that they were filled with jealousy. In the end of the chapter, the very last verse, verse 42, it tells us about the disciples, those who had received the gospel and put their faith in Jesus, that they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so reading this and looking at this, the question I have to ask you today is what are you filled with? What are you filled with today? What are you full of today? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Are you full of joy? What is it that is filling you and filling your life? Or is it something else? Is something else filling you like these people that opposed Christ and his gospel? They were filled with jealousy. What is it that you're filled with today? Examine your heart. Look inside. What is in there? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Is it the work of the Spirit? You know, we read in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and self-control. Are these the things that are in your heart right now in 2020? Love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and self-control? Are these the things that have filled your life? Or are you full of something else? There's something else kind of rolling around in there and getting um, going from the outside, inside on to the outside. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives this instruction. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That's chapter 5, verse 18 of Ephesians. And I want to examine this passage a little bit closer because I believe that God's desire for you is to be filled with His Spirit. 
to be filled with the Spirit overflowing. And overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. To be overflowing with love and joy and peace and goodness, patience and self-control in 2020. That's God's desire for you and for your life. And we see the key to living that Spirit-filled life in this passage and also in Ephesians chapter 5. And so let's, let's look at this a little bit deeper uh, from Ephesians today. In verse 15, Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk. One of the first keys to living a Spirit-filled life is we need to pay attention to the way we live our lives. We need to look carefully on how we walk. That's, that's our walk with the Lord and the way that we live our lives. We don't just go through life with no aim. We don't just live our lives as God's people with no purpose. Just whatever comes my way, I guess that's what's, how I'm going to live my life. And We're not called as God's people to live a life that is dominated by the, the current trends that are happening in the world. That whatever is happening in the world, the current, the, 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 the streams of life, that we just get swept away in that as God's people. No! That, that's not how God's people are to live our lives. And the way we, we combat that, being swept away with whatever's happening around us, is we pay attention. We look carefully how we walk. He says, not as unwise, but as wise as people who have access to the wisdom of God, that we shouldn't just be swept away into foolishness that the world is being swept away with right now. He says, verse 16, making the best use of time. Why? Because the days are evil. Can we all acknowledge today that we live in evil days? That we're living through dark times? That these end days, these last days that we are living in, these aren't the good old days. Right? When, when, when you're talking to your grandkids, at least when I am, when I'm talking to my grandkids about 2020, I'm not going to be talking about 2020 like it was the good old days. Right? At least, God, I hope not. Right? Let's just knock on wood. I hope not. These aren't the good days we're living through right now. These are evil days. These are dark times. There are forces of evil in our world today. There are so many lies and deceptions going on in our world, seeking to lead people astray. And because of that, we must make the best use of our time as God's people. The best use of our time. Are you using the time you have in the best possible way? Are you wasting time? You know, when you waste time, you know what you're really wasting? Your life. Your life is the time that you have here on planet Earth. Our days are numbered, the Bible says. Our days are numbered. That means like when you go to the store and you pick up a jar of salsa off the, the thing and you say, when, when is the expiration date that you can know Okay, I shouldn't, let's, salsa's good even after the expiration date. Milk, all right? When you pick up the milk, like, I would rather drink bleach than milk that was expired by one day, right? It's like, get that out of the house, it's toxic, right? There's an expiration date on there. Guess what? You have one too. 
Every single one of us has a day on which this life will expire. Now, we don't have that written for us and stamped on us. We don't know when that is. But you know who does? God does. And because the days are evil, we must make the best use of our time. We can't afford to waste our lives because God has called us to live a life of purpose, looking carefully about how we live our lives, using our lives for things that matter, to expand the kingdom of God, things that will last and outlive this life. There's only one thing that's going to outlive this life. It's the kingdom of God and the people that are a part of it. That's it. Everything else is falling apart. Everything else is passing away. And we as God's people need to live life with an eternal perspective. And so he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. And he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a better way to cope with the evil days in our world than to just go out and get drunk. That's the world's solution to the problems. Well, we'll just get high, we'll get drunk. And we see that because of this, alcoholism is on the rise in our communities. Drug addiction on the rise. Why? Because this is the best the world honestly has to offer to cope with the evil of our days. But for the Christian, we are called to live a life filled with the Spirit. And this is not a suggestion. This is not a take it or leave it. This is not a, if you like to do it, that's cool. This is not a Sunday morning exercise. This is a way that we are called to live our lives every day. And this is a command from the Lord Jesus to each one of us. Live a life filled with the Spirit of God. This word filled in the Greek, it has two connotations to it. And they're helpful for us in understanding what it means to live a spirit-filled life. The Greek word is the Greek word pleru, P-L-E-R-O-O. And the two connotations that it has for us, the first one is it means when something is filled, that it's under pressure, that there's pressure applied. And so if you take a, a vessel and you fill it with water, for example, that vessel has pressure applied to it. But the the picture that's being described here for us is the picture of a sailboat with its sails raised. And that as the sails are raised, what fills it? Wind fills the sails. And what does it do? It applies pressure. And Paul is saying that we, like a sailboat, should live our lives with our sails up, being ready to receive the direction, the leading, and the power of the Holy Spirit. That a sailboat with its sails down, it it can't go anywhere. It has no power. But it fills, the Spirit fills our lives, and it's like a wind, wind that fills the sails of a boat. It gives it direction. It gives it power to go where God's called it to go. And you and I, we're called to not just follow the streams of culture. In fact, we're called to go upstream from culture. To, to not just get swept away in the tide of where the world is going. No, we're called to head in the opposite direction. 
And to do that, we can't do it in our own strength, just trying harder, but we really do need the power of the Holy Spirit to live the life God has called us to live, to be filled with the Spirit. It's pressure. The second idea for this word is domination. To be filled with something means to be dominated by it, to be controlled by it. And we see in this passage in Acts that the the people that oppose Paul and Barnabas, they're filled with what? Jealousy. They're dominated by the spirit of jealousy, this emotion that's gotten into them. But there are people today that are filled with so many things and it dominates them and it controls their life. Bitterness, resentment, covetousness. How come only good things happen to them and it never happens to me? A victim mentality. These are things that people are filled with and it dominates their life. What about anger and rage? These are two things that are filling so many people in our culture right now. Anger and rage. We're not called to be filled with any of those things, but to be filled with the Spirit under the control of the Holy Spirit. Having the Spirit be the driving force for our lives. What is the driving force of your life? What is it that is controlling you? What is it that is is pressuring you either in the right direction or the wrong direction? What are you allowing yourself to be filled with? Jesus said in Matthew 6.22 that the eye is the lamp of the body. What he's saying is that the eyes are the gateway of the soul. Basically, what you watch is what gets inside of you. What you look at, what you behold, what you're constantly paying attention to is what will get down into your soul and into your spirit and will control your life. So the reason why so many people are full of anger and rage right now is because all they're doing 24-7 is watching the news. People, even Christians, live their lives with the the TV on, on the news, 24-7. Don't do that. You're not called to be uh, uh, filled with the news. You're called to be filled with the Spirit. And both sides of the aisle right now are trying to make people mad. They're just trying to incite anger and rage in people right now. And so if you're just filling yourself with the news and what's going on out there, you're not going to be filled with the Spirit. And you're not going to be full of love and joy and peace and goodness and patience and self-control. Don't be filled with the world and the things going on in the world part of the kingdom of heaven. And because of that, we have access to the love of God and the joy of God. In the midst of all of this chaos that's going around us, we don't have to be swept away into the things that the culture is being swept away in. But we must disconnect from the messages that are just constantly trying to get into our souls. And we must connect to this to the true, to the eternal. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. He said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. 
What kind of things should we be looking at? What kind of things should we be focusing on? What kind of things should we be listening to? What kind of things should we be letting into our soul and filling our lives? Pure things. Honorable things. Noble things. Lovely things. Excellent things. And you will not find that on cable news. Don't be swept away with the culture. We're not part of this culture. We're part of the kingdom of God. Listen, when, we, when Jesus returns, all of this is going to pass away. You know what you don't see in the book of Revelation when Jesus sets up his kingdom? You don't see the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights. You, you don't see those things. You see a king sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen here in the U.S. of A., but my destiny is not tied to the destiny of this nation. My destiny is a part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is king, and he is eternal, and he has all power, and he has all authority, and he rules and he reigns, and I am a part of that. And so whether America survives, or whether the Bill of Rights is trampled on, or whatever, Jesus is still on his throne. Jesus is on his throne. And all of this is passing away at some point anyway. And you and I are called to be about the kingdom this eternal kingdom without end, ambassadors preaching the word of God, filling ourselves with the word of God so we have something to offer this world. But if we're just filled with the stuff on the news, what do we have to give to anyone who is hurting and lost and without hope but just to regurgitate the garbage that's being spewed out there? Listen, you got to get in the Word. you got to fill your soul with worship, with things that are filled of the Spirit. Turn off the social media, disconnect, plug into the Holy Spirit. This is how you and I are called to live. And we see the results going back to the end of Acts chapter 13, that the disciples who believed in Jesus, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What was it that they were focusing on? What was it that they were thinking about? Were they thinking about how they're being trampled underfoot by Rome, which they were? Were they thinking about how they were being oppressed by Caesar Augustus, which they were? Were they thinking about that? Were they thinking about how their nation had been robbed from them because Caesar had come in with an occupying force and had crushed them? Is that what they were thinking about? Were they thinking about how their culture had been destroyed by Rome? No. They were thinking about, I've been chosen by God. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but now God has made me alive in Christ Jesus. I was lost in my sin, but Jesus found me, and he saved me, and he's setting me free, and he's called me to live a life for him. I couldn't see. My eyes were blind, but now they've been opened. I couldn't hear, but my ears have been opened now to hear the gospel. The way Luke put it was that they had been appointed to eternal life. 
Listen, if you will think on these things, if you will think about the love of God that's been expressed to you in Christ Jesus and how He has saved you and how He has set you free and how He has pulled you out of darkness and put you in His light and how He is going to deliver you into an eternal kingdom that the Bible says no eye has seen and no ear has heard, how awesome it's going to be, that it's even beyond imagination, that where Jesus is now as He's preparing a place for us for that day, that Jesus is is hand-preparing a place for you and for me, if we will think on these things, we too will be filled with the Spirit, and like the disciples, we will be filled with joy. Would you stand with me this morning as we close in prayer? What are you filling yourself with? What are you allowing yourself to be filled with? Are you filling yourselves with the things of the Spirit? What are you watching? What are you reading? Is it the Word of God that truly builds up, that truly edifies, that truly sets free? Or are you allowing yourself to fall into the trap of a culture that is fading away to a world that is passing away? Listen, do not tie your soul to something that is falling away and passing away. Tie your soul to what is eternal. The Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us, eval- help us to evaluate our lives in light of your word. Lord, let us turn away from the nonsense. You've called us as your people to, to be filled with your spirit. Lord, that we would be a people that are led by, controlled by, dominated by your spirit. Not the spirit of this world not the spirit of the news, not the spirit of whatever else is going on, but the spirit of God. And Lord, that you would produce within our hearts by your spirit true and everlasting joy and peace and love and goodness and patience. And that we would bring glory to your name as we live as your people in these days which you've called us to live in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.